Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman sitting here with our good bishop. And thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be with us today. You're welcome, Kyle. Always great to be with you. Before we start, uh, we always like to pray the Angelus. Do you have any intentions for us for today? Well, with Catholic Schools Week coming up, I think it'd be good to pray for all of our Catholic school communities, mm -hmm. the principals, the the teachers, the staff, and and the students. Um, I'm so proud of all of them, and it's such an important part of the mission of our diocese. So, so let's pray for our Catholic school communities. Yep. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. And she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail, Hail Mary, full, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop Kevin Rhodes talks about the importance of Catholic schools, as Catholic Schools Week is almost here. Then it's on to St. Francis de Sales, the conversion of St. Paul the Apostle, and questions submitted by listeners. Submit yours at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. And you mentioned in your intention for the Angelus that Catholic Schools Week is next week, January 29th through February 2nd. What was your experience growing up in Catholic schools? Oh, I loved it. I went through my whole education was Catholic schools. Um, and my mom worked at St. Mary's Catholic School in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, where I attended. And then I went to Lebanon Catholic High School. The faith was integral and infused into everything we did. I think Catholic schools are needed now more than ever. There's so much value in a Catholic education, so I'm always promoting our Catholic schools. I think one of the most important things is Catholic school students learn that God is present and active in their lives mm -hmm. and in the world. They learn to to see you know, God's love all around them and to be instruments of God's grace in their lives. There's so much that I, I think is important about it that you know, certainly they have opportunities to pray, to attend Mass, to live their faith through service, to be part of a community, a community of faith and a community of love and a community of service. And to be able to study religion every day I think is really important, the opportunity to, to really delve more deeply into the sacred scriptures and the catechism of the Catholic Church, I think is uh, it's definitely worth the sacrifice. 
what do you see as the role of the Catholic teacher? You know, I think the Catholic teacher, we definitely want teachers who are going to be competent in their field, but we want more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, We want those who are going to be witnesses, witnesses of the gospel. We have some very good Catholic teachers in public schools who are also witnessing to the faith, but they they can't do it explicitly. They Mm -hmm. do it more by their example. Whereas in a Catholic school, a teacher can do so also explicitly by talking about Jesus and talking about the, the, the Lord and the church. But it's important to, to, to really live what we teach. I mean, same with priests, same with all of us, to be Catholic in word and in deed, not just professing the faith with our lips, but really living it. And that's really important that we be, otherwise we can be a countersign and we can hurt people's mm. faith when we don't give good example. So when we hire new teachers, we are looking for those who are going to be good role models and good examples of the Christian faith for the children. Sure. One of the things that will happen next week is the You Can Lend a Hand Luncheon, which is uh, the 29th in Fort Wayne and February 1st in South Bend. Uh, Also part of that is the Light of Learning Awards I was able to go to the luncheon last year in Fort Wayne. What happens at this luncheon? Yeah, you know, it's really good. It's an opportunity we have to say thank you to our teachers Hmm. and to our administrators as well. So we give out these Light of Learning Awards and, uh, you know, we get nominations, et cetera. It's a way to honor some of our outstanding Catholic school administrators and teachers and to show our support for them. Quality Dining funds it, so Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's that's very generous on their part quality dining is um you know have several restaurants and and uh burger kings and that in our diocese so they fund this and um it's really good it's an enjoyable luncheon but it's an opportunity really for me and the diocese to say thank you and there's not all the teachers are there obviously it's kind of just a few from each school and you're able to speak to them but if you had the opportunity to speak to every catholic teacher in the diocese what would you want to say to them well i do talk to all of them every year really um we have catholic school mission days uh in in the first semester where all of our catholic school teachers are together we have two events one on the fort wayne side one on the south bend side Mm -hmm. so i always have an opportunity i have mass it's a full day that they have reflecting on catholic mission we have different speakers but i usually give an extended homily that day okay also i talk to the teachers when i visit our schools But I think the important thing, one of the things that I would say to our teachers is we speak often of the universal call to holiness. That's for every Catholic. And I think it's good for teachers, Catholic school teachers, to look upon, and they do. They don't look at it just as a job or just as a profession, but as a vocation through which they can grow in holiness. Mm -hmm. That's what's really important, I think. You know, one of the things is that every Catholic school teacher seeing every student as really sacred and the dignity of each child that they teach as a child of God and to see that part of their role, more important than anything else, is to prepare to help their students to become saints, to recognize their eternal destiny. Mm -hmm. So it's an education in goodness and in love, as well as 
an education in the other subjects or the education of the mind. It's also the formation of the heart and the education of the soul. I think that's why we have such commitment on the part of our teachers. And it's important that our teachers understand Catholic teaching, Catholic doctrine, that they live, a, uh, those who are Catholic, which is the great majority, that they live active sacramental lives mm -hmm. that reflect the values of our faith. And then they're able to present that Catholic vision of things to their students. Any thoughts for a, a parent that's trying to figure out the best way to educate their kids and, and raise them in the faith and they're kind of discerning between Catholic school and homeschooling or public school? Well, I, I mean, you know, the parents definitely have the freedom and they are the first educators of their children. So it's up to them to decide what is best for mm -hmm. their children. And I want to respect that. Um, but I ask them to especially consider the value of a Catholic school education, mm -hmm. but also to take seriously their role as the first educators, because we can have great Catholic schools, but if what we're teaching isn't reinforced in the home, right. it's not really going to have a great effect, especially if our students see a contradiction hmm. between their home life and what they're learning about the gospel in school. Yeah. So we really have to be partners. I think Catholic school teachers and parents need to be partners in this holistic education of the child. Any other thoughts on Catholic schools? As I said, I think they're needed now more than ever, especially given some of the challenges we face in our society, especially the relativistic view of things, mm -hmm. um, where there's rejection of even the possibility, let alone the, the reality of truth, especially in the area of morality, but also in the area of dogma or doctrine. And I think so that our young people don't adopt this uh, both a relativistic and a materialistic mindset, they need to be grounded in, in faith and reason. Mm -hmm. You know, reason and faith, the two wings upon which the human spirit soars. You can go on through life on one wing, and, um, but you're not going to fly very high. Yeah. Uh, you won't fly at all, really. So we need reason and faith, and that's what Catholic education brings. All right. Another thing that we celebrate today is the Feast of St. Francis de Sales. I was reading about him, and he felt called to the priesthood, but his father wanted him to go into law and politics. Do you see that often in seminarians or priests that their discerning priesthood is contrary to their parents' wishes? I would say more often today than when I was a young man. Mm -hmm. I think there's a little more opposition. Probably some of that's in the culture. We see it especially if the parents may not be practicing the faith. They would have maybe more opposition to a, a son's discernment of priestly vocation. But actually, I mean, it's been throughout history. I mean, when you think about it, even people like St. Francis of Assisi, I mean, yeah. they locked him up. You know, same with Thomas Aquinas. I mean, their parents were adamant against their vocation. So it's not anything new, but I would say it's a little more prevalent today than when I was a young person. How do we balance that the concept of respecting your parents and the commandment of obeying your parents versus following God's well, will? Well, the following God's will is first. I mean, the parents have an obligation before God to respect the freedom 
of their children regarding their vocation. Mm -hmm. So if one is pursues the priesthood or religious life against the will of his or her parents, but because they've discerned it's the will of God, that is not dishonoring one's parents because the commandment to honor God is always first. Yeah. What else do we know about St. Francis de Sales? He's a great saint, you know. I was thinking about how difficult, you know, he was a bishop and how okay. difficult it must have been. He was a bishop after the Reformation where it was in Geneva, Switzerland, which was basically a Calvinist country hmm. and the Calvinists had taken over and here he was the Catholic Bishop of Geneva who um, faced a lot of hatred and persecution by the Calvinists but yet he in his struggle against Calvinists he brought many back to the Catholic Church he was a great preacher he was renowned for his holiness one of the things he did that's I think important to remember is that he co-founded the Visitation Nuns along with St. Jane Francis de Chantel, which um, became principally a teaching order. That was very important for Switzerland at that time, but also even today, Visitation Nuns. Hmm. They live a somewhat cloistered, they, they live in convents, but they, they teach also, but they have a pretty, I guess, somewhat half-cloistered life, I guess you could say. Okay. But anyhow, another thing that he, that I think he's probably most known for, especially for our listeners, important to know, is he talked about something that became a major theme at the Second Vatican Council, the universal call to holiness. He wrote about how it's possible, spiritual perfection is possible for lay people, for people who are busy with the affairs of, of the world. Now, we might think, oh, that's not What's so new about that? Well, it was new at that time because people believed that really spiritual perfection was only possible for those who withdrew from the world, who withdrew from society. Hmm. In other words, okay, holiness is possible for nuns and priests and right. brothers, but not for married people or not for lay people in general. So he wrote a real great classic called The Introduction to a Devout Life. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, was almost a prefigured some of the teachings of the Second Vatican Council, and it was century, written centuries before. He was a great missionary, but he was a missionary in that area where Calvinists had taken over. And as I said, he, he helped to bring many back to the church, but he, he um, is involved in a lot of controversies with the Calvinists. But when you read his letters, you read his sermons, or you read the classic Introduction to a Devout Life, you see what a great great man this was what a holy bishop who was tireless in his propagation of the faith hmm. the work of really re-evangelizing the people of his time he's also by the way and it's important to note he's the patron saint of journalists and writers so for those writers and journalists out there francis de sales is a good uh, good model and intercessor would you suggest introduction to the devout life as a is it an easy read or is it a little bit? I would put it in the, in the middle because it is older. So sometimes it's a, the language is a little different. But, but I don't think it's – I think the average educated Catholic would enjoy reading it. Yeah. Okay. One of the stories I was reading about him, uh, to please his father, 
he studied fencing and riding and he's out riding his horse and three times he falls from his horse and his sword and the sheath i guess formed a cross all three times and he took that as a sign from god so it kind of made me wonder how do you distinguish between a coincidence or maybe even superstition versus divine intervention or yeah, a I mean, sign we have from to be God. careful about superstition of course but things like that i think you just never know i yeah. mean you just don't take it with too much seriousness but you i mean i i would basically say oh maybe maybe <laughs> god is giving me a sign here uh-huh. you know yeah all right well coming up we will chat about the conversion of saint paul we'll talk about some of his companions and we'll have questions submitted by you right here on truth and charity with bishop rhodes brought to you in part by notre dame federal credit union welcome back to truth and charity with bishop rhodes i'm kyle hyman and tomorrow the 25th is the feast of the conversion of saint paul the apostle so i looked it up june 29th is the feast of saints peter and paul so why do we also celebrate the conversion of saint paul as a feast day i think because you know it's probably the greatest conversion story in the history of christianity when you Hmm. think about it um he was a persecutor of the early church and he became one of the princes of the apostles he had this conversion on the road to damascus and his writings ended up being coming inspired by the Holy Spirit, his letters, part of the New Testament. So if it wasn't for his conversion, just imagine, yeah. we wouldn't have all those great, important letters the, to the Corinthians and the Thessalonians and the Ephesians and the Romans and Colossians, etc. So, you know, it's kind of like his, his new birth in Christ, mm-hmm. you know, that, that one experience on the road to Damascus where Jesus basically called him you know and said to him saul saul why do you persecute me and he went by me his body Mm -hmm. the church you know jesus identified himself with the church we know that paul was there at the stoning of the first martyr saint stephen so this this devoted pharisee who really hated christians ended up becoming tireless in his propagation proclamation of the message of Christ, so I think um, it's appropriate that we we celebrate with a ma- as a major feast on January twenty fifth. His it's not just a memorial like you have different memorials. This is actually a feast, mm-hmm. the conversion of Saint Paul. By the way, there's a great artist uh, Caravaggio, the conversion of Saint Paul on the way to Damascus. A great image of that that I always enjoy and I have hanging up. But um, kind of reminding me of that great event in St. Paul's life and reminding us that we all are called to continual conversion. But St. Paul's was certainly dramatic. Yeah. And I think I know myself and a lot of people might get jealous of conversion stories like this where there's a very clear sign. And although, you know, I don't want to become blind for a while in order to be drawn closer to God. Uh, a lot of us are seeking some kind of sign or especially those that are skeptics or maybe agnostic or something like that are, are looking for some kind of a sign and might think it seems unfair that he was able to have this experience and I'm just sit here lost and wondering, uh, why does something like this happen to some people and not others? That's the mystery of divine election, I think. God chose him. I think sometimes God is giving us signs and we don't see them. 
that happens at times. Mm-hmm. But even that wasn't a uh, a sign that, for example, Paul still was free, but he opened his heart to that revelation that he received from Christ at his conversion. Um, but I think what you're talking about is is very difficult to answer. God distributes his graces as he wills. Mm-hmm. What can we learn from St. Paul's conversion? I think it can teach us, for example, he was such a terrible persecutor of the church, and it shows that great sinners can become great saints. Hmm. I guess also he goes from persecutor to persecuted. He knew what he was getting into in his conversion. He knew the, I would imagine, the suffering that he was going to have to endure because he was imprisoned and was he also tortured? Yeah, I mean, he endured many hardships. I don't know about torture. We know he was shipwrecked. Uh Um, And of course, at the end, he was beheaded. Wow. You mentioned how much of the Bible is attributed to St. Paul. Is there a reason for that? It seems... uh, like there's so much diversity in authors throughout the Bible. And then he's got this huge chunk of all these letters and stuff. <laughs> right. The Pauline corpus. Yeah. Why, why this one man? I think it was that formative stage of the church, the mm. beginning of Christianity where the Holy spirit was at work, inspiring the evangelists to write the gospels, inspiring St. Paul to write those letters, inspiring St. John to write the book of revelation and also a few letters these were writings that the church held in great esteem and would read at the liturgies. So it was the early Christians of those first decades who, who saw these writings as discerned that these, these writings were certainly inspired. And it was only later, a couple of centuries later, that the church determined the canon of the New Testament, the 27 mm-hmm. books. But they were already writings that the, that the Christian community at prayer revered. So it's interesting, it was the Catholic Church that, as you know, determined which books were indeed inspired. Right. Included would be those letters of Paul. I think part of it, too, was he was so instrumental in the work of evangelization. I mean, he was establishing these Christian communities, these churches all over Asia Minor. I mean, everywhere from what would be in present-day Greece, present-day Turkey. He was founding Christian communities in present-day Greece, places like Thessalonica and Philippi and Corinth, present-day Turkey, places like Ephesus and Colossus. And he was all over the place, even some of the islands and even Rome itself. So as he was establishing these churches and and really establishing leaders for these churches, presbyters who govern those churches, who, um, you know, the Holy Spirit was at work in him. So it seems kind of natural to me that if the Holy Spirit was moving him to spread the faith and to evangelize throughout the Mediterranean, especially in Asia Minor, that same spirit inspired him to write these letters. Any of his writings uh, that uh, do you have a favorite, like a quote or passage oh, or definitely Romans eight, Romans eight is my favorite of St. Paul's writings where he speaks about how nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That would be my favorite Romans yeah. eight. Another one I thought maybe you would pick is, uh, that we are one body in Christ, which was your bishop's appeal yeah, last year. Any update on how that went? Very well. I mean, they're still receiving pledges, 
but we're already over the goal and it's just great news the people of our diocese are so generous yeah good all right and i will mention that there is a trip going to greece in the footsteps of saint paul if people are interested in that father bob garrow is the spiritual director for that trip you can go to redeemerradio.com travel uh, for more information on that uh, also though we have on friday the feast of saints timothy and titus both bishops both uh, worked with saint paul uh, timothy at least kind of followed in his footsteps i guess what did it mean to be a bishop in the first century well it's interesting um when we think about timothy and titus they were i guess what we could call co-workers but more like apostolic delegates in Hmm. other words it was saint paul who basically associated them with his ministry we speak today about ordination it would be saint paul who appointed them and ordained them Um, And then was St. Paul ordained by St. Peter? Well, it seems that with Paul, it was pretty much direct from Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But Timothy was a convert of Paul, and he was with Paul a good bit. He was with him, for example, when uh, St. Paul founded the Christian community in Corinth. So for several years, I think around 15, he was one of – he was a close friend, associate, co-worker you could say of paul in the in the difficult missions that saint paul was undertaking we know for example that timothy was with him in rome when paul was under house arrest so they were very close even at one point we know timothy was in prison but paul installed him as as his representative at the church at ephesus we know have the letter to the ephesians and he was he was rather young remember there's a funny line in you know saint paul two two letters of the new testament are letters to timothy Mm -hmm. written by paul and one it seems that he was pretty timid that timothy must have been shy and in one of the lines in his letter paul wrote to him stop drinking only water but have a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent illnesses so (laughs) do you remember that so he's 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 giving some medical advice there (laughs) that's right (laughs) and uh so uh, that's pretty neat and then there's titus (laughs) by the way i remember i i had one pilgrimage where i went kind of in the footsteps of saint paul and Uh i was surprised i visited one of the stops was the island of crete and um paul brought the gospel to the island of crete I went to this church of St. Titus, and lo and behold, in a reliquary was his skull, the skull of St. Titus. So I prayed at that. Anyhow, he was also a close disciple. Titus was also a close disciple of St. Paul, a close friend, a fellow missionary. He was a Gentile, and Paul did not allow him to be forced to be circumcised. Remember the big fight over whether becoming a Christian, you had to also be circumcised? Well, Well, Paul wouldn't let Titus be forced to be circumcised. Interesting. We know that they were great friends, co-workers in preaching the gospel. Titus is the one who brought the, when they were having trouble with the Corinthians, the community at Corinth, Titus is the one who brought Paul's letter that really was a pretty strong letter, if you remember, letter to the Corinthians, first letter. And Titus was the messenger who brought that from Paul to the Corinthians. And then there's a letter that we have in the New Testament that St. Paul actually wrote to Titus. Mm -hmm. And we know from that letter 
that he was the bishop or administrator, the overseer of the Christian community on the island of Crete. And that's okay. why, as I said, that's why his skull is there. So he was the one who was charged by St. Paul to organize the church on the island of Crete, correct some abuses and appoint presbyters, things like that. So it's really fascinating to read about the these early saints of the church. So the presbyters would have been priests that were underneath the bishop? Right. Yeah. And um, you see, at this point, this could be another radio show, Kyle. This would be kind of a lot to try to explain. But basically, this was the beginnings of what we would call the monarchical episcopate, where you have one bishop for mm -hmm. every local church. Because who were the bishops? The bishops were the apostles. Uh -huh. It was only with time. So you had these groups of presbyters leading, but the apostles were traveling. They were yeah. moving around. Yeah, there's a lot they of were traveling the in these. Yeah. yeah, they were the bishops. So who were left behind in these different communities were the presbyters. Okay. So they were doing the day-to-day -day stuff. And eventually, after the apostles died, and you get into the next period of the church's history, one of the pre leading presbyters in the community, actually designated by the apostles or successors of the apostles, designated as the principal presbyter or what we call the bishop, the episcopate, the overseer of all the rest. And that's what we call the monarchical bishop, the monarchical hmm. episcopate. It comes from the Greek mono, one, one. So you have this emergence by the end of the first century of what we call the monarchical bishop. We have evidence of that. If you read the letters of St. Ignatius of Antioch, which were written in the year 107, we see how the churches were organized, that the local communities had one bishop assisted by deacons with a council of presbyters, the hmm. three grades of holy orders. It's amazing how that arose so fast. Yeah. You know, by the beginning of the second century, that was the form of church governance, and it's the go governance that we have today yeah. in the Catholic Church. Fascinating. All right. Well, if you have questions, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we'll ask questions submitted by listeners right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, asking questions that you have submitted. Our first question comes from Diane Hunter from St. Charles in Fort Wayne. She asks, what religious orders for women do we have living in this diocese? Can you tell us a bit about them? Oh, thank you, Diane, for that question. You know, we have a number of, of religious women, religious sisters. I think I should begin with the big ones because actually we have some communities that have their mother houses here. Mm -hmm. So this is their central headquarters. So we have a lot of a few orders. The first one I would want to mention, because I think they were the first ones here, maybe, I'm not quite sure. The Poor Handmaids of Jesus Christ okay. was an order in Germany founded by a mother, Mary Catherine Casper, hmm. who is beatified. Anyhow, they're provincial headquarters it's called a provincialate is in donaldson and it's called ancilla domini handmaid of the lord because these are poor handmaids of jesus christ uh -huh. so this is really their 
U.S. headquarters, we could say. So there are a lot of sisters, poor handmaids of Jesus Christ, and they have a long history in our diocese. Their first place that they came was St. Joseph Parish in Hessen Castle. Oh, okay. They staff many of our schools, St. Joseph Hospital in Fort Wayne. They were the the ones who started that. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had a great history in our diocese. So that would be a lot of sisters from there. Another group would be that's really uh, very early on are the Sisters of the Holy Cross mm-hmm. up at Notre Dame. They are the ones who who founded St. Mary's College, the all-women's college on the South Bend side of the diocese. They were a French community founded by Blessed Basil Moreau, the same priest who founded the priests and the brothers mm-hmm. of Holy Cross. So the Sisters of Holy Cross, also a rich history in our diocese, where they staffed also a number of our schools and other ministries. Also St. Joseph Hospital, now St. Joseph Regional Medical Center in Mishawaka, it was St. Joseph Hospital in, in South Bend. So when you think about these religious communities of women, mm-hmm. staffing our schools, founding hospitals, yeah. amazing. Then another order from Germany, the Sisters of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration. Uh-huh. And they also came over here in the 1800s, just like the Poor Handmaids and like the Sisters of the Holy Cross. They began, though, in Lafayette, but that was part of our diocese at the time. Oh, okay. Later, their provincial headquarters was moved to Mishawaka. So, thanks be to God, then the Diocese of Lafayette was created, but their mother house was already moved to Mishawaka. And um, their foundress is also beatified. I was at her beatification some years ago with the sisters in Germany, in Paderborn. And her name is uh, Mother Maria Theresia Banzel. And they founded many hospitals. They have a whole healthcare system, but none in our diocese, but they're their main office for the their hospital system, their Catholic healthcare system, is in Mishawaka. But they do sponsor, they started the University of St. Francis, which began as St. Francis College in Lafayette and moved to Fort Wayne. So they still sponsor the University of St. Francis, and they also work in our parishes and schools. Sure. Another community that has its headquarters here is are the Victory Knoll Sisters. That's what they're commonly called. They are the Our Lady of Victory Missionary Sisters. They were founded by a U.S. priest, so they were founded in the United States, and they were missionary catechists, especially in the southwestern United States. Hmm. And their mother house is in Huntington. They were founded by a Chicago priest, but very much supported by Archbishop John Knoll, who was very close to them. Mm-hmm. So their mother house is in Huntington. Those are the main communities of women religious in our diocese. Now, besides them, there are some small numbers of sisters where their mother houses are in other dioceses. And we have many. I mean, we have the, for example, we have two daughters of divine charity up at Corpus Christi in South Bend. We have two Felician sisters at St. Adalbert's in South Bend. We have the school sisters of Notre Dame who've been at Saints Peter and Paul in Huntington for a long time. And we have have two two there and also one school sister of Notre Dame at St. John's in in Goshen. We have sisters of St. Agnes. They they staffed a number of our schools and we, we still have 
some of the Sisters of St. Agnes serving in a couple of our parishes. We have this Sisters of Notre Dame, different from the School Sisters of Notre Dame, and some of them are at St. Jude's in, in Fort Wayne. So it's wonderful, and there are a few others as well, the Sisters of St. Joseph of the Third Order of St. Francis. We have a few of those, both in Fort Wayne and South Bend. So we're really blessed. Well, we have a follow-up question to that, or at least a similar related question from another listener asked, are there any resources for women's vocational discernment in our diocese? Yes. I mean, our vocation office is centered really on our diocesan priests, but Each of the religious communities have their own vocation offices. So when we get any inquiries Mm -hmm. about from a young woman who is discerning religious life, we will refer them to the vocation offices of the particular religious communities. Okay. Yeah. Would you encourage a a woman that's considering this to do one of the, I've heard them called nun runs or something like that, oh, where yeah. you go around and visit different convents and try to That's get to know the community way. to see if it'd be a good fit. That's right. That's, that is the best way to do it. You know, maybe you can look online, you can kind of learn a little bit about what their charism is mm-hmm. and then see, okay, you can narrow it down that way, but really nothing replaces actually visiting and meeting the sisters. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they'll call them like a come and see weekend come and or see something weekend, like that, kind of a yeah. retreat. And- For example, the Sisters of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration in Mishawaka, they have them, and, and they've been attracting a number of young women from our diocese, a couple every year. Mm-hmm. All right, well, someone called in and left the following message. Hi, um, I've been attending um, the cathedral for the last couple of years, and I am probably going to go through RCIA but I'm not a confirmed Catholic at this point. Um, Is it still a mortal sin for me to miss Mass when I haven't actually become a Catholic yet? It seems odd that that something would be a sin for a Catholic and and then not be a sin for other people. I I was wondering if you might want to address that question. Oh, good question. I would say, well, first of all... um, Welcome, and uh, I hope and pray that you will go through RCIA. Part of the Ten Commandments, Third Commandment is keep holy the Lord's Day. So Mm -hmm. that applies not only to Catholics, it applies to everyone. So I presume you were baptized that you're already a Christian. I'm not sure. But if you were baptized, of course, you already know the obligation that, that all Christians have to offer worship to God. But as far as any specific Catholic obligation, you really don't have that until you become Catholic. For example, the canon law that requires Catholics to attend Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation, that only applies to Catholics. Uh, Of course, we shouldn't be merely going to Sunday worship out of a sense of obligation, but as a desire to give praise and worship to God. So it's wonderful that you're already attending Mass on Sundays. All right. Well, you can ask your question by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call our text, the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we've got more of your questions coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, asking questions that you have submitted. Someone asked, 
why aren't the Credo and or the Gloria prayed during the weekday Mass? And why is the Gloria not prayed at Sunday Mass during Advent and Lent? Well, these aren't essential to the celebration of the Mass. We reserve these beautiful expressions for our most solemn and festive occasions. So, um, so really, the Gloria and the Creed are reserved for our most solemn holy days, which includes Sundays and any other holy days in the church, and solemn feast days, for example. During the seasons of Advent and Lent, we do not sing or say the Gloria because those are more somber seasons. They're seasons of preparation. And again, it's, it's more the idea of refraining from those joyful prayers or that joyful song, the Gloria, during those seasons of penance. Again, the Gloria and the Creed are not necessary for a celebration of the Mass. They are really beautiful ways to express the faith that we believe, but they're reserved for the more festive occasions. All right. One of our listeners asked, from the bishop's perspective and from talking with other bishops, what's unique about this diocese? Are we notorious for anything better or lacking in certain ways when compared to others? You know, from my perspective, I mean, there's many common things among dioceses. Um, I love our diocese. I think we have a very strong Catholic school system. I think we have definitely a higher percentage of children and young people attending Catholic schools Mm. than most dioceses in the United States. I also think we have very strong catechesis in our diocese. Another unique thing is we have five Catholic colleges. Yeah. I mean, for a diocese our size, and we have all these mother houses of religious orders. Mm -hmm. That's very unique. I noticed these things right away. When we have I a couple came Catholic here. publishers, and that's another thing. Our Sunday visitor and, and Ave, Ave Maria, Maria Press. Press. Yeah, I mean, so here we are, a diocese of only about one hundred and sixty thousand Catholics, but we have these these institutions. We have a strong institutional presence, Catholic institutional presence, with our Catholic universities, and you know, with these two major Catholic publishing companies, strong Catholic school system, as I mentioned. But it's hard to compare strengths and weaknesses. I mean, every diocese has its challenges. I think per capita, we are doing much better than the majority of dioceses with priestly vocations. Mm -hmm. I think the annual bishop's appeal per capita is one of the highest in the nation, Hmm. our people's generosity. I am really blessed to be bishop here. I can tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Our last listener submitted question is, if you could witness firsthand any of the mysteries of the rosary, which would it be? I would like to have been there at every single one of them. <laughs> um, but I can't think of anything more amazing than the resurrection of our Lord, mm-hmm. the first of the glorious mysteries. Although, to be honest, no one saw the actual resurrection with their own eyes. Right. They, they did see the risen Christ afterwards. Yeah. But that would have been great to witness firsthand. Oh, my goodness. You can think of Pentecost, the center of the Holy Spirit. You can think of the Last Supper and the Luminous Mysteries. You can think of the Annunciation, the Nativity of our Lord. I mean, all of those various mysteries of the Rosary. Uh, uh, or to be there at the foot of the cross. Oh, my goodness. At the crucifixion, the fifth sorrowful mystery. I don't know. I'd, if I could be have been at any one of them, uh, it would be amazing. Do you have a favorite set of mysteries? 
You know what, Kyle? That's a good question. It changes. There are some times in my life where I'm really, you know, I might be more moved, for example, by the joyful mysteries. And maybe I go through a period where the sorrowful mysteries are touching me most deeply. Hmm. So, yeah, for me, it varies. I was really glad, though, with the luminous mysteries. I think there was that kind of you know that public life of jesus that was kind of missing yeah so it was great when pope john paul established the luminous mysteries i you know in a way that's kind of completed i think you know now we have the four sets of mysteries that kind of makes it even more a compendium of the gospel makes the rosary even more a compendium of the gospel now that we have the mysteries of light yeah All right. Well, thank you once again, Bishop, for taking time out of your schedule to meet with us and share with us and answer some of our questions. Uh, Can we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Join us next Wednesday at noon for a new episode of Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.